This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, Joni. I know our listeners are well acquainted with you by now, but for those that may be joining us for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. So, Karen, yes, I love the work that I do in terms of resilience, and resilience is an overused word. So, I like to say I help people to bounce forward, to live their most optimal lives. And uh, we're talking about sleep, they're an essential part of bouncing forward. <laughs> it's actually the Swiss army knife of your health. So it's a really important topic that we're on today. Fantastic. And today we are discussing part four of our Sleep Your Way to the Top series, which has been a phenomenal series up to this point. And I'm actually waiting with bated breath to get into our discussion today, because specifically we are focusing on things to do in the bedroom for a great night's rest. I'd like to start our discussion today with really what are the things we shouldn't be doing? Because if there's things we should be doing, there's obviously things that we shouldn't be doing. And I'm pretty certain most of us have some of those bad habits. Indeed, Karen, actually, it's a hell of a good way to start because especially in winter months, and at the moment we're in winter months in the Southern Hemisphere. So what shouldn't you do? You shouldn't be lying in bed or cuddled up watching TV. <laughs> you shouldn't be lying in bed working on your computer or your phone or an iPad of sorts. And you shouldn't be lying in bed and eating. And then lastly, it's something that people do do in their bedroom that I'm really strict about with my family and all families have um, these really courageous conversations and also known as problems and arguments and heated discussions those should not be happening in the bedroom as well so the bedroom really is left for three things shall I tell you what they are <laughs> please go ahead and tell us what they are uh, so, Karen, the three things are sleep. We know that because you're sleeping your way to the top on this podcast. Sex and reading. Those are the only three things that your bedroom should be used for. So it really should be a sanctuary and nothing else happens in the bedroom. And I suppose for some people, I, I mean, I don't have a television in, in my bedroom, but it, it, is quite a, it is quite a thing for people to carry this TV in their bedroom. Is your suggestion to get rid of it or just not switch it on? Absolutely get rid of it because you won't be using it in your bedroom unless you're watching the news or sport at the start of your day. That would be okay. I'm also quite vociferous with people, Karen, that, you know, the start of your day is quite important. I have a very peaceful start to my day. I often say to my mates, you know, your day is really formed by how you f you spend that first hour. Check your thoughts, check your attitude, check your heart. And you don't really want to be having the razzmatazz of TV at the start of your day. So long story short, get it out of your uh, bedroom, um, leave it in the lounge. And if you've got a spare one, give it away. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Fantastic. Now, I'm sure many ears pricked up because there were three things that you said we should be doing in the bedroom. And if I remember now, it is uh, reading, sex and sleeping, right? Yep, that's it. Sex, uh, that's what people like to hear about. That's what often. people like to hear about. I'm sure ears pricked up at that point. So tell me something, how important a role does sex actually play in helping us to enjoy restorative sleep? You know, it's very interesting because we forget about that. We forget about this as a link, Kieran. And actually, sex is hugely beneficial. It boosts certain hormones in your body and it relaxes your mind. 
And also you kind of switch off from the day. So I'd like to just speak about three hormones that get boosted after sex and how that really helps the brain. Because as you know, I'm a, a brain scientist at heart. The first thing is that it's a hormone that most of us talk about, oxytocin, and that's called the love hormone. And when you have sex, that really, you get a flash of oxytocin and that affects the cortisol in your body. So cortisol, we probably all know, is the stress hormone. So you get more oxytocin, less cortisol. So it helps to soothe and de-stress you. So sex in the bedroom, you're de-stressing from the day. That's the first thing. The second thing that I find interesting as well, and I only recently um, read about this, is that also during sex, you get the boost of serotonin, which we know is the happy hormone. That's also that good mood, that's the relaxation after an orgasm, but it's also required for the body to make melatonin. That's a beautiful link. You know, we want more melatonin to kickstart that beautiful deep sleep. And you need serotonin to make the melatonin. So that's a prerequisite, which is important. And then the last hormone, Karen, is prolactin. And that's got many functions in the body. It does cause sleepiness after sex as well, which is lovely. And then this is a little interesting stat for our listeners, that prolactin, the research has shown that men release up to four times more prolactin than women when they orgasm. So uh, that's really interesting. So if your partner uh, nods off uh, very quickly after sex, it's because of that surge of prolactin. Um, and uh, that's beautiful. It switches off the logical brain and it really primes the mind for deep sleep because it frees you from worries and decision making and, you know, trying to, you know, figure out the day. It's a fantastic part of life, intimacy. And let's not forget that there are hormones that get released. Fantastic. And I think that's a powerful um, statistic that you've quoted or, or piece of research, at least on, you know, men release four times more because one of the areas that women and men mainly differ in is how we behave afterwards. And I think many women will be relieved to hear there is a an actual neuro-based reason that men are nodding off quite quickly afterwards. That's right. Because, so, you know, after intercourse, if you want that kind of long deep and meaningful conversation as a woman, it might not be happening because of the release. Yep. It's really the biological parts of our bodies. The more we learn, Karen, and the more that research is coming out, it's so fascinating because, you know, things that made us angry or irritated or kind of um, feel lesser than, uh, you actually start to understand the biological processes. And I find that illuminating, totally illuminating. Now, Joni, from the opposite side, if we, if we kind of look at this, can a lack of sleep affect your sex life negatively? Very much so. And a lot of people coming into our practice is saying, look, you know, is it okay that exhaustion is a passion killer? <laughs> saying it is. <laughs> Again, biologically, you know, our bodies are designed to sleep, Karen. So sleep deprivation, if your body's going to choose between sleep and sex, it's going to choose sleep. And, you know, what happens to your body over the day? You've had a hugely demanding day. And then we get this pressure buildup um, in our brains and you hit that bed and it's like there's no race, like snoring is going to happen immediately. There's no intimacy or foreplay or anything else happening. So we've got to take into account that uh, a lot of people are have, you know, mental well-being, exhaustion, just a sense of overwhelm sometimes. Certainly intimacy is going to go out the window. The other sleep disorder that really affects sex is obstructive sleep apnea. So that's associated with erectile dysfunction and also lower sex drive. 
and I find it interesting that people don't always know that they're suffering sleep apnea. We think it's for the big overweight person with a big belly and a big neck, but not the case. We're seeing, you know, slim women also suffering sleep apnea. So, you know, it's those little interruptions of sleep that you're getting in the previous, you know, nights, weeks, months, and you just always wake up feeling exhausted. So if you think that you could be suffering sleep apnea, I would suggest people go to the doctor and get tested. I think it is one of those things that, you know, most of us aren't aware of until until you've had that good night's sleep again or until you are treating it or, you know, you have one of those machines and you're actually breathing properly for the first time for a solid night. Quite a difference, uh, so I've heard. So besides um, what you've already mentioned uh, and those three things, what else do we need to do in the bedroom? It's so important when you just think about in helicopter up here and we spend and should spend about a third of our lives in our boudoir, in our bedroom. So we spend money on clothes and holidays and cars and all sorts of things. That's a big generalization, I know. But a lot of people don't spend money on optimizing their bedroom. So if you think of, we spoke about sleep hygiene in the last episode, but we really need to think about what can we do in our bedroom to optimize that bedroom. The first thing is, is that if you've had your mattress for about seven or eight years, you've had about 20 to 30,000 hours on that mattress. So <laughs> your mattress, uh, we forget about changing our mattresses and it's critical to comfort and pain-free sleep. You might want to think if you've had that mattress for longer than eight years to change that. I change my pillow every year. So no matter how much I wash my pillows, et cetera, et cetera, when you think about the dirt in the ground from the day, even if you have your shower and bath every single night, there will still be all of that dead skin on your pillow. So those two things in your bedroom. Bedding is really important. So your sheets, your blankets, what you touch when you get into bed. I was having lunch with a few girlfriends the other day, and I don't know how this came up, the conversation, but uh, someone said, you know, my favorite day of the week. And I said, what's that? She said, it's a Tuesday. I said, why is that? She said, because on a Monday, my sheets get changed. So <laughs> Monday night I get into bed and I feel the difference. And I thought that's a, such a beautiful mind-body connect that they actually, you know, you actually feel that touch on your skin. So invest in really nice bedding. It, it really does make a difference. And then lastly is around the temperature of your bedroom. Karen, so we have a debate every night, I might have mentioned this before because it's uppermost in my mind with my husband, is that I love that cool bedroom and that's what research has told us, 16 to 18 degrees Celsius or 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And that cool bedroom really makes a huge, huge difference. So it's winter in South Africa at the moment and I've got that bathroom window open and he's going, we need to close that. And actually on that note, I'm just going to kind of, you know, use it as a tangent. I stayed at a lovely hotel working with their staff in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago and we were talking, it wasn't a sleep conference, it was a resilience conference. And I said to their staff, is it by design that you put the air conditioner on 17 degrees in your bedrooms? And she said, no, no, gee, I'm so sorry. That must have been terribly cold. I said, no, it's the perfect temperature. And actually, it was beautiful bedding and a beautiful mattress. And I slept so magnificently. And their eyes popped open, all of them, in this hospitality group, because nobody knew that. It's, you know, I just think maybe even in, in hotels, we could speak about how you can have a really good night's sleep and actually encourage people to, to detach and relax and 
you know, make sure that um, often in hotels you've got blockout curtains. I don't at home. But I think we should just be speaking to people about that hotel feeling back in your own home. So I just started mentioning about blockout curtains. So I'll finish that thought, Kieran, that I have blinds and I just always have even before my deep research. So I wear a mask every single night. It's a beautiful mask. It's got a velvet black topping. We actually sponsor the Rhea Booker Foundation. A group of, of rural ladies make them. So if you want one, you can get one from me. The point of the story is that that mask is also a cognitive behavior therapy signal to my body. Mask goes on, this is going to be a good sound night's sleep. And I use the very same mask when I travel. I use the very same mask when I want to power nap. I have the very same design in my laptop bag in case I'm on a plane that's delayed or at an airport, I can just sit and have a power nap with my mask on. We need to think through some of these more tactile things to ensure that we have a good night's sleep. Absolutely. I think that's so important. You know, what are those kind of signals or rituals? And I think we've we've previously spoken about uh, that ritual of what you do to set yourself up for a good night's sleep. And it's so important, like when you're putting that mask on, the feedback that you're giving your body immediately is we're going to have a good night's sleep or it's that, it's that extra kind of reinforcement that we are preparing for a good night's sleep. Yep. The other thing, a ritual that I have, Kieran, actually, is lavender oil. I really strongly believe in it. There's not a huge amount of research on it, I must say. But again, it's a personal ritual. So I have that on my pillow and I travel with a tiny bottle of lavender oil. And I love speaking to people about it. Who else does this? And when I spoke to Dr. Tara Swat about it, who is a neuroscientist and a psychiatrist, and she said, Joni, I too travel with lavender oil. And I thought, yay, yay, yay. <laughs> Even a neuroscientist travels with lavender oil. But it does put your body into a calmer state. Those two little drops on my pillow. And I actually, it's, it's a kind of a, I do gratitude in my shower every night. But I do feel hugely grateful every single night sliding into my gorgeous bed with my warm duvet and just thinking there are many street people who just can't afford this and don't live under a roof and certainly don't slide in, under the sheets and under a warm duvet. So there's a huge amount of gratitude that for those of us that live in these comfortable homes. Um, and lavender is my thank you universe that I, that I too can live in a comfortable home. That's lovely. Thank you, Joni. As you were mentioning now, there's many rituals that you can share with us and many things that you do, and I'm sure you practice, but most of what you've been you know, telling us to, to do, for those of us that are kind of just on this journey, if you had to suggest just one thing for us to change or that we could do right now to actually improve the quality of tonight's sleep, what would it be? It's really making sure that you've got a cool bedroom. Interplay between the body temperature and melatonin is also significant, Karen. So if you can have a cool bedroom, when your body cools down, then your melatonin production increases. So it's inversely related. And of course, we do want that sleep hormone because it not only kickstarts sleep, but for those of us who are waking up at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., it's likely to keep you asleep as well at those times. So a cool bedroom would be the one thing that I'll do. If you're not going to rush out and get an aircon or can't have a cool bedroom, then certainly have a very hot shower, or a very hot bath at night. And then as you step out and you get into bed, the body immediately cools down because we want to be, you know, it knows how to cool itself down. So cool bedroom is my linchpin for a good night's sleep. Thank you, Tony. Now let's talk about quickly new parents. 
So a lot of when you're in that new parent phase and you've got this young baby or a, a toddler that's not settling well at night, it's really difficult to put a lot of these things into practice. What advice have you got for, for parents of very young children on getting the best possible quality of sleep that they can? I have very strong memories around when my girls were, you know, two and three and toddlers, <laughs> how difficult it was. Uh, so I say to my stepson and his wife and my grandchildren that um, this too shall pass. Um, if you can give them away for, you know, a few nights, then do. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm very willing to my grandchildren over. But it's this too shall pass. It is just absolutely difficult. My 22-year-old daughter, I recall her being a, a year old and waking me up eight times a night. So that disruptive sleep is horrendous. I did give in um, for a time and either go and sleep in her bed or she crawled into my bed. And it just is that way. You know, I did get advice on sleep training and try to make that whole sleep ritual, which is exactly as we do. We've just spoken about the lavender oil, Karen. It's putting your children to get to bed, making it a beautiful ritual, saying goodnight to every teddy bear, singing the same song, you know, making it an inviting environment to be in their bedrooms. And then um, secondly, actually, is lighting. So some children don't want to have a completely dark bedroom. So either in their bedroom, a soft red light or outside their bedroom so that they, you know, if they do wake up, they don't get scared. And if you do have to go to them, you're not switching on a bright light to get to them because immediately a bright light goes into your brain. Your brain goes, whoop, whoop, okay, no more melatonin for you. Cortisol, here we go, it's daytime. So we, our body clock, our circadian rhythm is hardwired to light. So keep lights low at night and low if you have to get up at night to your little toddlers. Absolutely. Fantastic. Tony, thank you so much. What really great advice, especially when it comes to things we should do in the bedroom and most importantly, those things that we should not be doing in the bedroom. So those bad habits that we perhaps have gotten into that we really need to curb and, and break and, you know, all of this in an effort to ensure that we'll get the best night's sleep possible. I'm really looking forward to our next part, part five, where we'll start exploring the effects of blue light on the quality of our sleep and look at ways that we can reduce our exposure. And I, I think this is, you know, blue light is something people are starting to become aware of, but perhaps we haven't fully understood the impact that it has on us. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Great. Thank you so much, Karen. Fantastic. Thank you.